WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Phoenicia Diner on Route 28 in Phoenicia for breakfast and lunch, locally sourced seasonal food and drink, and Phoenicia Diner's sister restaurant, Dixon Roadside, at the corner of Tinker Street and Dixon Avenue in Woodstock for modern twists on comfort food for lunch and dinner, local beers and craft cocktails, and catering for private events. PhoeniciaDiner.com and DixonRoadside.com. The Mountain Eagle, the community newspaper and website serving the Catskills region, covering Delaware, Schoharie, Green, and northern Ulster counties, with local reporting, regional events, school sports, letters, and features, all in the Mountain Eagle. Rockland Cider Works Upstate in Gilboa, an agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm. Gluten-free hard cider made from 100% New York State apples. New York State produced beer, wine, and spirits. Rockland Cider Works Upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. RocklandCiderWorks.com 1053 Main Street Gallery in Fleischmann's Designed as a space to support a vibrant and active artistic community nestled within the Catskill Mountains, presenting Departures, a display of artistic works made in response to the pandemic by 24 New York artists, painting, sculptures, collage work, and photography. On view through Sunday, March 12th at 1053 Main Street Gallery in Fleischman's, 1053mainGallery.com. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, and I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org.
Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio Live and Local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Good, Ryan. How you doing? How am I doing? I'm doing all right, you know. Uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, uh, my maple sugaring season is over. I started January 2nd. I'm done. All cleaned up. Beautiful. Well, February, mid-February, uh, I could probably tap new trees and start a new season, a second season, which would be crazy because the forecast is looking decent for sap flow, but I'm done. I'm all cleaned up. I'm not going to spoil everything. Yeah, well, you've been boiling for a long time, as many of our listeners know, but I've just boiled for my first time ever, and I've made about uh, three quarts so far of my own maple syrup. It's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Welcome to the world of maple. It wasn't easy, but, man, I find myself just staring at those uh, jars that I canned and looking at that color and feeling really good about it. Yeah, man, it's tree sugar, you know, tree blood. It's, uh, it's good stuff. I put it on everything. Uh, maple syrup is not just for pancakes. Give me a break. <laughs> you know? It's for popcorn. It's for meat, fish, everything. Fish. Yeah. Salads. You name it. The only thing I don't put it on is, is probably fruit. I don't know why. Just mm. don't put it on fruit. But uh, other than that, since that's over, doing uh, firewood and replenishing the stock of that. And I'll be replenishing sapwood soon. And just pruning apple trees this time of year. So it's been a glorious winter for working outside because it really hasn't been that cold or wintry, which is a bummer if you're a snow sports kind of person. But um, working outside, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, the only bad part is just the ground's never really frozen. So you're always stepping in mud and slipping around a bit. But, yeah, yeah it's great weather. Absolutely. But uh, tonight's topic on From the Forest is Trees for Health with Marco Garrido. Cambrera, and he's studied geography and spatial planning in Spain, Italy, and France. He worked for the Department of Mental Health for World Health Organization, Geneva. He's co-authored more than 100 publications since 2008. He's the associate professor at the Department of Geography at the University of Seville. He's the member of the IUCN, WCPA Health and Wellbeing Specialist Group, World Commission on Protected Areas. He's currently visiting Hunter College it's his third visit to New York City, City, previously a visiting professor at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia University and NYU. Let me see if I can get Marco on. Marco, are you there? Yes, I'm there. Can you hear me, Ryan? I, I can hear you well. How are you? Ah, I'm fine, thank you. Uh, good to hear you, too. Yeah, absolutely. And where are you calling in from, Marco? I'm coming from Spain, but I'm currently in New York City, uh, uh, very close to the Grand Central in Manhattan right now. All right. How's that going? Yes, things are going uh, very well uh, so far. So we are having uh, meetings at the Hunter University with Professor Peter Marco Tullia who is head uh, at the Department of Geography at the Hunter College. And, and he, he's a very interesting person. 
we are very happy to to meet him. So let's get right into it. Uh, Trees for Health, and um, y- you know, you, you sent me some of the outline beforehand about what you want to talk about, and you you mentioned this term called the biophilia hypothesis. Can you explain that? Yeah, right. So that's a very interesting uh, uh, theory, you know, that started uh, in 1973 by Henry Frog. Uh, he was a psychoanalyst, and he defined biophilia as a passionate love of life and all that is alive. You know, and this term was then developed uh, later by Edward Wilson, that was a U.S. uh, citizen from Alabama. And he was also professor at Harvard University. And and sadly, he died uh, in 21, uh, when he was 92. And he um, developed this idea, uh, thinking or with the idea that human beings has a genetic tendency to seek out uh, nature. And therefore, uh, we feel less like ourselves without the nature. So we, we need nature to be uh, happy, to, to have a full life. So nature is inherent to our life, uh, our life from a genetic point of view and, and also for our biology. So I... I hope that I have explained this uh, bio, uh, biophilia hypothesis uh, properly. Ryan. Yeah, so uh, this is Zane here, but uh, yeah, this is an interesting kind of hypothesis. You know, in science, hypotheses are things you test, um, you confirm them or disconfirm them. Um, I guess the idea here is that human beings, their well being, uh, depends on uh, kind of natural environments, green environments. Um, so you talk about these things called green spaces and blue spaces. Do you want to explain those? Yes. I mean, um, uh, most of the studies uh, have mainly focused on green spaces. So green spaces, for for us to understand, it includes... Uh, uh, not only the forest, but the nature in a greater sense. So the park, the the spaces that we have in the cities with the trees, you know, it's also related to the greenness in general. So art gardens, parks, so all these are the green spaces. But we have also to include the blue spaces, so the lake, the reservoir, the rivers, the canals, or the beaches in, in the in the sea, no? because it has also a very positive impact. So the research is also studying the the impact of uh, blue spaces and not only green spaces, and because they are both part of our nature. No? In fact, the the majority of our planet is blue. No? So therefore, blue is a is a very relevant part and piece of, of our life. Yes, you have uh, human beings uh, in uh, green spaces and blue spaces. How how would you begin to test this hypothesis? 
I mean, there have been many uh, different ways to, to test uh, this hypothesis, and in the majority of studies, it has been confirmed the positive role of uh, both green and blue spaces on, on the psychological well-being, on the relief of stress, and the improvement of psychological distress, and, and to cope in, in crisis situations as the pandemic that we will, we will also discuss if you are really later. So uh, it has been tested, you know, through cross-sectional studies, so studies made in a, a specific moment, but also in longitudinal, so over time. So uh, these over time studies have uh, provided uh, the results and the outcomes needed to really make sure and, and state that nature has a positive impact and therefore it should be prescribed by uh, healthcare professionals. As it has been, for example, the mineral water uh, back in the in the 18th centuries in the in the UK, no, by by different physicians. So uh, the the access to green spaces, I think, is is essential in our life, no, and and nature in general, no? and our environment is uh, necessary in order to achieve a good. Uh, quality of life and, and to also to protect us against the uh, mental health disorder or mental health problems in a um, general uh, point of view. Well, where did um, these studies take place? Do you know? Like who, who was the demographic studied and, and whatnot? Was it rural people, urban people, um, men, women, demographically, all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, the majority of these studies have been uh, in conducted in mainly in urban areas. And the reason is because the majority of the people live uh, right now these days no, in, in urban areas, so this is one of the reasons. Uh, another reason is because uh, people who live in, in urban areas uh, in many cases, are deprivated from nature. So, meaning that they don't have access to, to the green spaces, to the nature, um, not only when they walk on the street, but also from, from their home, so meaning the, the views from the windows uh, in their home, or uh, having um, a near a park or garden. So these studies have been conducted uh, mainly in North European countries, uh, of course also in the, in the U.S. And, and Australia, but we have also examples from all over the world. So there are other studies in, in South and Central America, in Asia. So these days, for example, there are more and more evidence coming from countries such as uh, China or countries um, in other parts of uh, Asia, no? in, in Korea or, or all
all over Europe. No? So the the information we have collected so far is uh, so robust that uh, I think that there is a gap because uh, this information is not being uh, used in the clinical practice. So I think that there is, I think this is also a, a research problem no? that we need to uh, pass through this uh, channel in order to make healthcare professionals aware that uh, nature is a good medicine mm. and therefore it should be prescribed in order to improve uh, people's lives in a very cost-effective way. So, yeah, prescribing time in nature, does that mean kind of your doctor would recommend that you go to the park for, say, two or three hours and just walk around under the trees? Yes, yes, that's a, a very good point. Thanks for, for asking that. Yes, in fact, uh, medical doctors, uh, besides the medication, besides the, the pills, no, the, the treatments, besides the physical activity that they do prescribe, besides the having a relaxed life and uh, improving the work conditions, so this, is, uh, this has to be with the occupational uh, theories. And besides all the, the let's say, the healthcare uh, that is provided in the, in the healthcare systems, no? uh, besides that, there are also ways to improve uh, people's life and also people's health, not only uh, physical but also uh, psychological health. And therefore, there, are, there is the need to know exactly what are the doses because it's not only about uh, uh, living close to a green park or having a nice view, but it's also about how you enjoy of that, no? For example, there are uh, new evidence coming from the UK uh, proving and showing how 120 minutes in a park, so uh, two hours, two hours time uh, in a park uh, 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 can really have an impact on the well-being. So it's not only to go or cross through a park or a garden, but also stay, you know, and, and really enjoy and have view and, and really appreciate it. I think it's also important that the person uh, understand the value, because otherwise you can be there, but not really affect your, your health or your mind, but also you could not uh, really uh, make physical activity or really uh, use it as a way to improve your social cohesion, which is another important part of being spaces in the neighborhood. Marco, um, like, did you compare it like exercise in the park versus just say a gym, um, you know, to, as like a control? Were people any less stressed out or when they exercise, say, in a green space versus, say, you know, a gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, there are. Uh, I haven't found a study uh, comparing that both environment that you mentioned, but I can tell you that uh, uh, there are studies, for example, proving that uh, having views 
into a natural environment and or having views of uh, trees and, and greening in general or greenness is uh, beneficial for the health. So therefore, if you have to do the same exercises that you can do in a park versus doing indoor in a gym, it has to be better off for your for your mental health and for your well-being to do it in a park when, of course, the weather condition allows, no, and you have the possibility. But uh, in that uh, in that context, I would like also, Ryan, if you allow me, no, to incorporate also the the idea of the virtual reality. No? That uh, I, in general. I again, no, because I don't think this is the right replacement for real nature, no, or, or real environment. But in certain conditions, it can have benefit, no. So there are now studies proving the difference between virtual and real. So virtual uh, reality nature and real nature. And the result has been quite comparable. So that's, uh, I think that helps to understand what we were uh, discussing, no? what, what you were asking. So you're saying virtual nature and real is comparable. It's, you didn't find that much difference in evidence as far as reducing uh, like anxiety, depression, mental health? Yes, that's right. So... For example, imagine uh, one person who has a disability or who can go out because has uh, uh, reduced mobility or uh, in a certain condition of stress or crisis or, or imagine during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic lockdown and people were at home. So in that cases where you don't have any choice or any opportunity to access to a green space, then virtual reality can be really a good replacement. So I'm not saying that we should replace uh, visiting a real green space or visiting a, a natural protected area, but what I'm saying is that in certain conditions, virtual reality can be a good substitute or a good replacement with also positive benefits. This is what uh, environmental psychologists are now testing in different contexts and in different countries with having a very positive outcome so far. So, yeah, like a, a virtual environment would be something like, um, like a headset or something. You can put on your head and you're transported to some sort of uh, other world that's that's green and earth-like. Um, so, so how how do you measure well-being? Is it just the self-reporting of the participants in these studies? Is there a metric you use to measure uh, someone's well-being? Uh, yes, I mean uh, there are uh, different scales that uh, that are self-reported, as you mentioned. So, for example, the General uh, Health uh, Questionnaire, or GSQ, from Goldberg, uh, that has been widely used. 
and and the result of this uh, of this validated scale, as I say, the GSQ, but also the HAT, the anxiety and depression scale. So there are several scales, mm. and for most of these scales, the results and the outcomes obtained through self-reported uh, questionnaires has been similar or has been in the same line than uh, diagnosis made by healthcare professional or by psychologists and psychiatrists. So therefore, this scale has a value, and that's why they are they are called validated scales. So this is one thing. But another thing, there are other uh, parameters, like for example, cortisol levels or heart rate or blood pressure that has uh, a genetic effect. So they have been validated, they have been uh, measured, uh, and uh, it has been demonstrated that green spaces, but also virtual reality, can help to decrease these physical symptoms of stress. Hmm. Um, Marco, it's kind of like ironic or a paradox because, you know, biophilia, as Ed Wilson, you know, advanced, that humans want to go towards nature. But yet our society, our culture, it seems like in Europe, I guess, as well as North America, is becoming more urbanized. Human beings are, are gravitating towards urban areas. I mean, what what is going the other direction that would be fighting against biophilia then, I guess? Because, you know, younger people, a lot of people I grew up with moved to New York City. They didn't remain in the Hudson Valley. Um, and I, I guess that's a similar story that many people my age have, in, have, have shared. Yes, I, I think uh, this is a, a complicated issue because we, are, uh, uh, we see how, uh, in a way, human, uh, we look to be around other people and enjoy with the society. No? But at the same time, we uh, feel how uh, people who are secluded in cities and only in gray spaces uh, with uh, deprivation, complete deprivation of gray spaces, not maybe like in New York City, because still in New York City uh, there are uh, a large park, no? not only Central Park, but also other which are uh, medium or small ones like uh, Bryant Park, or, and there are also uh, some initiatives, no, like the one million uh, trees from Bloomberg, no, that uh, so therefore uh, in uh, green spaces in in some areas are uh, they they still have a, a very important role, but. Uh, uh, I think that the humans uh, can have like two ways of live or to enjoy life. No? One, one way is just to ignore completely the, the nature. So you live in a very urbanized uh, place, you go to everywhere using your car, you don't have any contact with the nature or you have very limited contact. And then in that in that uh, in that uh, context, you can really enjoy your life 
but uh, you will not have a full life. I mean, you, you will not have a, a, a overall a complete life. While people who live in green spaces or in rural areas which are surrounded by nature and so on, they can enjoy. And then in the middle, you have people who live in urban uh, areas most of the their life, but uh, once a while, maybe the weekends or or twice a, twice per month, they visit green spaces or they visit protected area or rural area. I think these are the people who suffer the most because they they know the value of the nature, they know how nature can help them to enjoy life and to improve their life, but at the same time, they know that their life is all around the human, all around the grave. So I don't know if, if it makes sense to you, but so, I try to, yeah, to th explain. That's pretty interesting. Uh -huh. let, me, let me repeat, like... Um... So what you're saying? Did you say that like like a second homeowner or someone with a with a house on the weekend suffers more because they they know what nature is a little bit, they get a taste for it, but then they have to go back to an urban area? Or did I not have that right? I, I thought that's what you said. Yes, that's right. That's, so, really? So I, I I that's that's uh, that's uh, that's a theory, no? Because there are there are no uh, data, no? But I think that. Uh, in, in, I mean, you can either choose no, uh, to live a part of the nature, so uh, in a complete uh, urban site without access to big spaces, without trees, without nice uh, view from your window in your home, you know, so uh, like back of the nature. So that's a choice. Mm. But if you... Uh, decided to have some contact with the nature and go to rural spaces once a while. For example, people who have a second home, and but they have to stay most of the time in an urban places. I think they they have more the this uh, lack. No, they they have more the the feeling that they that they are not completely refilled, that they are somehow empty because of this. A lack of connectedness with the with the nature. Mm -hmm. So I think what I mean what you say was was in the same direction. That that's what I trying to explain. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, it's interesting this this word nature. You're you're studying people's response and how they um, their well being in nature. But nature is kind of this very broad concept. Uh, someone who might feel at home in, say, a nice, well-manicured park like Central Park um, compared to someone who, where we are in the Catskills, manages their land and is out in the woods maybe hunting or fishing or cutting down trees and managing their property. Central Park would seem kind of a very uh, unnatural, very controlled environment. They might not feel as at home there. Um, have you ever done any studies that looked at uh, rural people's experience of, of, of uh, natural environments or kind of indigenous communities or maybe isolated tribes, how they think of this and their mental well-being? Uh, very good question. I feel that what you, uh, what you pointed 
is uh, has completely sense no that uh, people who live in a rural environment who are uh, 100% in contact with nature in their daily life no uh, mm. they can fish they can uh, just hiking and they they are all the time around the trees and the environment the nature they they can hear the the animals or the birds singing uh, i mean all all this stuff no and and they get all the the this benefit no mm. uh, comparing to people who have uh, only access to the nature in a let's say in a pack way no so something which is already uh, made for consuming no in a in a less natural uh, uh, way no like for example, you point Central Park in, in New York, no? And and I I, I we don't have uh, studies uh, that has analyzed uh, these uh, differences, but I, I think that the the point here between these two contexts is whether uh, population uh, indigenous or or. A population from other contexts or immigrants or uh, any kind of uh, of uh, social group, people with disability, uh, female, uh, males, or, or young and adults. I think that we all share one important thing, which is the uh, self-awareness. So I think if you, mm. if you are aware that the nature can have a positive impact on your life, I think that uh, you will benefit more than people who doesn't know about this uh, positive effect, this beneficial impact. And therefore, I think it's also important the environmental education in order to uh, also grow an, uh, a nature conservation ethic, which I think is lacking these days. I think I think something also that has to do with and this has, doesn't seem like it's been studied is a lot of people from the city it seems like an outsider looking in when they look at quote unquote nature it's a place they associate with vacation or the lack of work and to me that's going to reduce anxiety whereas someone maybe up here might look at the same setting and say that's work <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like when you go from a farm field, if you grew up on a farm, it's not to say you don't like farms, but you associate it with work. Mm-hmm. My lawn, I see a lawn, I'm like, I got to cut the grass. But I look at the forest on the mountain, I go, that's the place where I go camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the place where I go on vacation. So I think that that matters too, culturally, where, where, what the context is and where you come from and stuff. If, if 8 million people are from the city, um, very few of them work outside, they're going to associate the forest and, and green spaces as a place of play. I think that has something to do with it, but that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you see uh, children. I know when I was growing up, amateurs were naturally attracted to these wild, wooded places where there was no adults. Um, I think the, the point you were making earlier, uh, you were talking about kind of it allows individuals to be more self-aware because I guess these urban environments are very uh, constructed environments. Your attention is always being prodded and, and pulled in different ways. But in these natural environments, these green spaces and blue spaces, 
your attention is not, there's nothing really demanding your attention. You're sort of just allowed to uh, daydream or just reflect openly. And maybe just that act allows people to kind of stress or uh, de-stress and um, uh, recharge in a way. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think that uh, it is important to to understand the value of nature. But uh, as you uh, pointed before, if you live in a rural area where uh, you are secluded to have contact with your peers, for example, you have to go to a very far away school to find other uh, classmates and and you don't have people from your same age or your life is all about working and waking up earlier because you have to for example get the milk from the cows no or or other rural uh, duties no and 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 the life is uh, complicated it's hard then that have of course can have an impact on your perception about what rural means, no? but the same happens if you are living in a in an urban space uh, uh, or urban or in a metropolitan uh, area where you have to work the whole day. No? I I when I when I come to the U.S., one of the things that uh, really uh, uh, impressed me no? is the capacity of the people to work without having holidays. No? Because we are in Europe, we are used to have long holidays, no? So it's normal for us to have at least one month of holidays and have enjoy holidays also in Christmas, like uh, one or two weeks, uh, also in Easter, you know. But uh, here you ask people, no? Uh, when was the last time you you enjoy of a day off, no? In, in some cases they say, okay, it was like three weeks ago, no? So people uh, get used to not having a rest, to work uh, more than 10 hours a day, you know, and to have long commuting. So I think that all have an impact, no? So so I, what I'm saying is that it's not that life in the city is easier than life in rural. I think it depends where you are. It depends what are your aims. And if you have debt or what are your dreams, where your family is, what you want to do. And I think that we need to uh, create it also universal principle to drive our life and to learn what we want to achieve in order to have a successful, but not only from a monetary point of view or economic point of view, but have a plan plenty life, no? and that will provide a, a, a very high level psychological well-being and, and high quality of life. So I'm, not, I'm not sure whether that it makes sense to you. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, hey, Marco, we're going to take a break. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. This is um, Tonight's topic is Trees for Health with Marco Garrido Cambrera. I see trees of green, red roses too. 
And this is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's topic is Trees for Health with Marco Garrido Cambrera. And we're talking about just um, being next to green spaces like water or trees or plants can be good for your health. So it's not just, you know, having parks and stuff, is it, Marco? It's indoor plants as well? Yes. Also indoor plants can have a benefit on people's health. Because uh, uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, it has been shown the role of uh, indoor plants uh, for health. There has been studies assessing this role of uh, indoor plants uh, on people's health before the pandemic also. So I think this is a, a very important uh, uh, results or, or information because uh, just having uh, indoor plants, your life can benefit in your health. So I think it's a very uh, cheap measure, so it's an easy to implement uh, because everybody can have a, a plant or have several plants in their home to make, uh, you know, to increase your your to improve your environment. So I think that's a very interesting idea, Ryan. Yeah, it could be more important now since uh, house efficiencies with insulation are so much better now that um, there's a lot of stale air maybe. I don't know. Some of these new houses, they don't breathe, so yeah. it might be good to have some plants once in a while. I don't know. Yes, I think it's, uh, it's important because we spend the majority of our time uh, living in in houses or indoors. 
So let's say 80 or 90 percent of our our time is is in indoor, especially in in, in countries where uh, the winter are as uh, really cold. I'm experiencing that no? <laughs> these days in in New York City, and and therefore. Uh, there uh, is more important the quality of air and, and having a plant in, in this context is better because of the air conditioning and heated room in order to reduce the CO2 concentration but also to relieve anxiety. So I think that it can really improve our indoor environment. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, what you're saying with with a, a virtual uh, green space or indoor plants, they're not equivalent to being outside, um, but they're suitable alternatives that that people can use in the meantime. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I think they they are a good alternative. In the case we can't uh, go outside. Uh, for example, we saw that uh, during the the pandemic, no, in that uh, starting in Wuhan, China, where people were secluded in their home, where they uh, they were uh, with the lockdown and the restrictive measure, they couldn't go out to to make uh, working or outdoor uh, working uh, or to access to the green space because. Uh, in many countries, they took the wrong decision. No? I wanted to, to also to highlight that, no? that it was uh, the most uh, stupid decision no? to close the green spaces during the, the pandemic, no? because the green spaces were uh, good places for no, you know, for no spreading the virus, no? because it were open spaces with uh, plenty of space and so on. No? So why? In some countries, no, uh, they close the green spaces. They open the bar uh, indoor, no. So they allow people to get indoor in the bar, but no outdoor in the green spaces, no. So I think that in this situation, no, when when you are or when you are, for example, in a hospital, no, you are uh, you have to stay there in your in your room sitting because. Uh, you are after a, a surgery or because you have a, a chronic disease or, or any other uh, limitation no? that uh, doesn't allow you to, to get out. No? You are an elderly or a person with a disability. So uh, virtual reality and having uh, indoor plants can really have benefits for your for your health, for your well-being, no? in, in terms of reduction of your anxiety and depression, and also improving your, for example, your uh, sleeping habits, no? and reducing the sleep disorders. So I think that uh, it's up to measures that are, are possible these days to be implemented, and could be also uh, or should be also prescribed by the by the medical doctor because they are key no? in, in order to change things. No? If something is prescribed by, by a medical doctor, I think people take it seriously and, and became to be 
activity and integral integral part of the of the decision and also of the management of the of the healthcare system. So I think I fully agree. I think this is a this is a, a good idea, but always in, in the accents of uh, direct contact, you know, because I'm I I'm more uh, in a agreement of uh, of uh, having real uh, contact, no, and real access to the green space and to the nature in general. So, yeah, it seems like a lot of your research uh, provides evidence for urban designers to create uh, more urban areas that uh, implement these green spaces. Can you uh, give an example of a city that you've looked at that just gets it right, that it's created a really good uh, space for people to uh, receive some of these benefits? Uh, I mean... um the majority of the best examples of cities uh, with plenty of green spaces, no, uh, they can be found in, uh, in places like uh, uh, Nordic countries. No, I'm talking about uh, Sweden, about uh, Finland and Norway, no, where they have a very important uh, green policy. So. Uh, this is uh, this is basic. No, they there are, for example, the the politic parties that represent the environmentalists. They are they are have a, a very important role, and I think this is this is a good example of uh, of urban design mm-hmm. in in those cities. But I think that besides the green spaces, I I know here our main topic is green spaces, no, and and I love. This topic, no? and, and I, most of my research goes around green, but also blue spaces. But I think that we, uh, when we are talking about urban design, we should take into account other fat, factors. No? For example, the bike lanes. No? And, and again, I think good example of uh, bike lanes uh, network no? can be found in countries like. Netherlands or countries like uh, like um, uh, Denmark, no? They, these are two two of the cities like Copenhagen or Amsterdam or Utrecht are very good examples of uh, cycling paths, no? Or bike lanes, no? Uh, networks. So I think that uh, nature uh, goes also. Uh, uh, in relation to having a more humanized uh, cities where uh, citizens can enjoy uh, without uh, driving, no? so they can uh, reduce the contamination or the pollution no? and the, the emission of the of the, of, uh, of uh, CO2, no? uh, for instance, no? to the to the atmosphere. And to improve the quality of life. No? So I think these are uh, good examples, but uh, there are other other examples. No, and I think that the initiative that I mentioned before of planting uh, one million trees uh, by that was started by Bloomberg no? uh, in New York, no? and and the new initiative no? that uh, also. Uh, are in favor no, of, of 
continue no, with that initiative no, in the in the city's five president no, in in the city of New York no, that they they intend no, that uh, at least one percent of the municipal uh, budget should be uh, devoted or dedicated to the park no, and about twenty percent of New York City no, uh, covered by by tree canopy. I think it's also a good um, positive and successful initiative uh, in relation to the urban design. Yeah, it's I you know from a practical standpoint, or at least from my standpoint, um, it would take wealth to do that, and that would that would help a lot. You know, it takes a lot of maintenance, or it takes a lot of money to install a tree, for example. But it takes a lot of maintenance to prune it and care for it, um, to have an arborist supervising that tree. I think there was one study, Zane. What was it by Gilman from University of Florida? Was it nine to twelve grand maybe for the life of a tree? Somewhere in there. Per tree in, in, in a typical urban landscape. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, as you know, uh, a lot of the benefits of trees are in the long term. But to get to a point where a tree can support itself, you need to uh, pick the right site. You need to plant it correctly, water it, maintain it, prune it away from structures and make it less of a hazard. And that takes a lot of time and attention and long-term thinking that um, it seems municipalities struggle to uh, fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's, I I understand this uh, barrier, no? That uh, it can become very expensive, no? Each mm -hmm. of these uh, of these trees uh, has a very important cost, no? In the budget of the of the municipality, no? But again, no? if we see if we can really make a cost benefit study, no? To see what are the benefits. And what are the what is the investment that is needed? I think that the the result will surprise us. I think that, but uh, in order to do that, we need to understand uh, what are the benefits. Also, if we reduce, for example, the mortality no, in relation to the breast uh, disease no, or disease related to the to the to the respiratory problem, no, in relation to the to the uh, pollution no? of the cities and how uh, green uh, spaces and and specifically uh, increase the increasement of the number of the trees could lead no? to that uh, improvement. I think that if we take into account no? <laughs> all the factors, no, uh, and also how the uh, life uh, will improve, no? In the, which is more qualitative no? than quantitative. But if we incorporate all these uh, numbers, no? if we are able to produce a synthetic index no? that shows what is the value of this investment, I think that, uh, that the thing will, I mean, uh, one thing will not be seen as a so expensive investment. That's my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree. It, it's worth the cost. I mean, it's it's a different way of thinking about design as well. You can build a building, and at some point, it's done. You build a bridge, and it's finished. But with these green spaces, you have to kind of curate them, curate them in a way that they all mature. That these trees come into their come into their own. Everything peaks and creates this 
kind of uh, this steady state, I guess, that people can enjoy. So it takes a kind of longer term thinking, it seems like. Yeah, the, the problem is I feel like a lot of times landscape architects or park managers look at it, or maybe they did in the past, I don't know if they do anymore, as, as museums. Mm-hmm. Trees are not museum pieces. They're they're living things. And there's a lot of poorly installed and cared for green spaces and trees in municipal areas. So that's my one concern. And rising costs. Um, it definitely boosts land values, no doubt, by having right. a green space, but it might make it unaffordable for a lot of people too. Yeah, and, so the question know. is who benefits from these is yeah. also uh, a qu- an interesting one. Um, yeah. um, Marco, we only got about 20 seconds left, believe it or not. Um, is there anything else you wanted to leave off on? Yeah, no, I I wanted to thank for for this uh, for this uh, radio program. I really enjoy. I will only would like to add no, to what has been said. It's also the the um, importance of uh, uh, green development uh, for uh, social justice. I think that one thing which I I think should be covered also in this uh, in this call no and and in this discussion is the value of green spaces uh, as a way to reduce disparity because when we analyze the distribution no the spatial distribution of the green spaces we found that they are majority in wealthier areas so I think that's a a very interesting topic too so, well, Marco, thanks for coming on and taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for your time, and thank you to everyone. Nice to uh, be here. Thank you. All right. Take care. And if you uh, missed the show, tonight's topic was Trees for Health with Marco Garrido Cambrera. And uh, see you next week. Have, take care. Good night, everyone. From the forest Up a dark and dingy staircase The old man his way, his ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay, and he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way, getting lost like a fool in the forest, and as he lay there sleeping, a vision did appear. On his mantle shining the face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime of the long-forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom in the forest She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name and then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games In an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town Where the river runs down from the Soldier, the dog.